Let's pray. Father, give us a hunger now to hear from you and to receive nourishment from your word. And give us that nourishment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a sermon about God and hunger. And you might like to have the Old Testament reading open. uh, And we're going to follow along in that. One of the many reasons why it is great to live in 21st century Australia is that we don't go hungry for long. Or at least almost all of us don't need to. There's food in the fridge or at the shops and it won't break the bank to buy enough to live on. For much of human history, famine has been something that any population might face. Harvests might fail due to drought, to war or raiders, to unseasonal storms or blights, to locusts or a hundred other threats. And then, when harvests fail, hunger becomes your constant companion. Uh, You might have seen the TV show Alone in my circles. It was a bit of a popular show. People are volunteers, crazy people, uh, dropped off in the wilderness alone to various locations and they have to find their own food, water and shelter. And they set fishing lines and nets, they set animal traps, they forage for leaves and berries and mushrooms, they try to catch crabs. They almost never have plenty to eat all the time. They lose weight, they lose energy and they think about food all the time. Hunger is hard. Food is a necessity. The first thing Jesus taught us to pray for for ourselves is our daily bread. In this week's episode of the Adventures of the Prophet Elisha, we have two stories about food Prefaced by verse 38, Elisha returned to Gilgal and there was a famine in that region. So today, in the midst of this famine, I want to look at two things. Firstly, Elisha gives his people their daily bread for a start. And then turning to our own situation, Jesus gives his people their daily bread. Those are our two points today. Let's begin with Elisha. Elisha gives his people their daily bread, and more. So Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in that region. Last week, if you were here, we were up north in Shunem. This week we're down south in Gilgal, much nearer the border with Judah. There's no word as to why this famine arose or how long it had lasted, but famine in the promised land, which was a land that was described as flowing with milk and honey, Famine was not supposed to be there. It was out of place. If Old Testament Israel, in going into this land promised to them by God, this land flowing with milk and honey, if they'd kept the covenant with God, then Moses had said, the Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground. And so the fact of famine suggests that God... And Israel are kind of out of joint. And Israel has not been keeping faith with God. 
In the midst of this famine, Elisha proposes some dinner. While the company of the prophets was meeting with him, he said to his servant, put on the large pot and cook some stew for these prophets. And who knows how often this company of the prophets was eating. But the fact that they are reduced to foraging wild plants suggests that things are not good. So verse 39, one of them went out into the fields to gather herbs and found a wild gourd plant and picked as many of its gourds as his garment could hold. When he returned, he cut them up into the pot of stew, though no one knew what they were. So was this a great provision from God? Wow, and a whole apron full of gourds. Fantastic. This will really bulk the stew out. I mean, sure, they weren't like anything we normally eat, but we're all very hungry and we're willing to try them. Verse 40, the stew was poured out for the men, and as they, but as they began to eat it, they cried out, Man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. This was not the manna in the wilderness. It did not taste like wafers baked with honey. No, it was disgusting. And it's not clear whether it was actually poisonous or just repulsive. Maybe it just tasted so bitter that it was feared to be poisonous. But maybe, you know, some tongues were swelling up and it really was toxic. Either way, the meal that Elisha has set in motion appears to have failed. All that work, all that foraging and preparing and cooking, all that hope and expectation and salivation for nothing. There they all are, sitting with full plates and empty stomachs and no apparent possibility of having empty plates and full stomachs. What a cruel twist. What an awful day. What a day to go to bed hungry again, it seems. Even though here's Elisha, and we trusted the man of God would guarantee us something good. But Elisha is not stumped. Elisha said in verse 41, get some flour. He put it into the pot and said, serve it to the people to eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. The spoiled meal is redeemed. The evil is overcome, the bitter poison is gone, the panic and the dismay subsides, and the dinner is back on. The devil may have been allowed to sow the seeds of his bitter gourds in the land, but the man of God can draw that sting and sustain life in even the most inhospitable moments. A famine, a toxic gourd plant, it doesn't stop the people of God eating together. The second story <clears throat> comes after the first fruits of a new harvest have come in. Now, during a famine, okay, even if there's good rain, you sow a crop, it's growing, you can't eat it. You're there, hungry. You have to survive long enough for that crop to come to the point of harvest. And the worst of the famine may be just as the harvest begins. And so when a man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe corn, along with some ears of new corn, this man probably brought them to ravenous people, to people who were possibly weak and spent. This gift would seem to have been an act of piety 
Deuteronomy 26, 1 to 11, instructs Israelites to take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land and to take them to the priest at the temple as an offering to God, an offering of thanks for the harvest that has come and is coming. Now, the temple and the priesthood were down in the southern kingdom of Judah and inaccessible to those, those living in Israel. But it may be that the prophet Elisha is the next best thing to going to the temple and the priesthood. He kind of stands in the place as the man of God of the priesthood and the temple. And so this man from Baal Shalisha brings the loaves, the first fruits of the harvest, to the man of God, Elisha. And Elisha immediately passes them on, um, probably to those with him who were the company of the prophets and their families. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. How can I set this before a hundred men, his servant asks. But Elisha answered, give it to the people to eat. For this is what the Lord says, they will eat and have some left over. Now in the last story, Elisha redeemed a wild vegetable stew so that there was at least some daily bread. But it was a story of a meagre amount being rescued from being thrown out. In this story, it's not just something, it's more than enough. More than enough is promised by the Lord, it's proclaimed through Elisha, and it's experienced by the people. Verse 44, then he set it before them and they ate and had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. Somehow, miraculously, the full plenty of the whole harvest is brought forward and feeds the people, even though they only have apparently meagre first fruits. This deed of Elisha's, the miraculous feeding of a hundred, probably reminds you of Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Now, you perhaps know the story right down to the 12 basketfuls of leftover pieces after the entire crowd has eaten. And in John 6.14, we read, After the people saw this sign, the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who was to come into the world. Elisha the prophet fed a hundred with twenty loaves. Jesus, by feeding five thousand with five loaves and two fish, gives a sign that he is, well, not just a prophet, but a super prophet, a capital P prophet, a man of God, perhaps in all capitals. Elisha is just kind of a warm-up act to this man of God, Jesus. So let's turn now to Jesus and think about Jesus. Jesus gives his people, as Elisha did, their daily bread. Now, we may not face a literal famine, that is, hunger and starvation, but we have many needs which may be met, must be met, really, if we are to be whole. We have many appetites which can cry out to be satisfied. We might be starved for work, we might be unemployed or underemployed, we might be without a purpose to serve. 
We might be starved for rest. We might be overworked and overwhelmed and worn down and worn out. We might be starved for company. We might be lonely and understimulated and disconnected. We might be starved, on the other hand, for solitude. We might be drained and in demand and always someone needing us. We might be starved for predictability. Life is just chaotic and insecure. We might be starved for novelty. Life is too routine and too deadening. Jesus taught us to pray, give us today our daily bread, because he knows, as God knows, that we are creatures with needs, and these needs must be supplied regularly. Jesus cares, as God cares, about our lives in this world, that we have food and shelter, that we have work and rest, that we have company and solitude, that we have security and adventure. However, we live east of Eden, out of paradise. We have not yet reached the city of God with the water of life and the tree of life. And so we still may have to endure famines of various kinds. We may have to live with hungers of various kinds that are not properly satisfied here and now. When Jesus gives you your daily bread, sometimes it will be like that wild stew of vegetables, right? It'll be kind of something meagre that's threatened, but nonetheless, you know, not taken away. So, you know, you desperate for a break, you manage to arrange something barely satisfactory, and even that kind of threatens to get cancelled, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, I need some rest, I need a break. You pray... And the threat is averted. And you get the rest that you planned, although, you know, it's not more than enough. It's just enough to keep you going. That may be what life can be like. Wonderfully, though, sometimes when Jesus gives us our daily bread, it will be like the second story, the barley loaves, where there's more than enough. You know, desperate for some Christian encouragement, you come along to church It seems like all that's on offer when you look at it is, you know, three songs which you are not wild about the look of and two very odd readings from the Bible. And what are we going to say about those? But somehow it's more than enough. You know, the songs actually warm your heart and lift your spirits and you really enjoy singing them. And the readings in the sermon have an unexpected and unusual resonance with you and the people are actually super encouraging to be with and the supper or the morning tea, gee, that really hits the spot. The whole experience is somehow miraculously multiplied for you and for others and you go home well fed, even overflowing. One last word about God and hunger. There is a hunger we have for something beyond our daily bread, beyond our needs in this world, whatever they may be. Man shall not live on bread alone, we read. We have a hunger, you see, to be with God, to hear his word, to see his glory, to live in his city, to eat from his tree, the tree of life and to know him and to have his love dwelling in us. We have this hunger. We may not recognise it.
These are all the ways of hearing and seeing and living and eating and knowing. These are all the ways the New Testament reading talks about the satisfaction of all our hunger, the meeting of all our needs in God, our creator, our sustainer, our redeemer. Now, pickings with this hunger too may be slim in this world, that our hunger for God may rumble away for stretches of time in our life and not be properly satisfied. But we do have some first fruits of this harvest. We have the resurrection of Jesus, that sign in the world of God's victory over death. We have the forgiveness of sins promised to us, assured to us by the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, who is a foretaste of the life and the power of fellowship with God. And in the end, the word of the Lord that Elijah, the prophet, spoke to those people will prove true. They will eat and have some left over. In the end, when we come to the city of God, all scarcity will be replaced by abundance and God will satisfy all our hunger. Let's pray. Give us today, Lord, our daily bread, for we, as you know, are creatures who have needs and depend upon your supply. We thank you for Elisha and the way that even in the midst of famine and threat, through him you supplied those faithful people who gathered around him. And as we gather around Jesus, we pray that we would know the same provision, that we would be sustained through tough times and even when things are meagre, we would have enough. And that sometimes, Lord, you would supply wonderfully and over abundance that we would have not just enough but more than enough until we come to that day and that city where we can eat from the tree of life and know the complete satisfaction of all our needs and hungers and we look forward to that with hope and expectation in Jesus name. Amen.